Well, thank you for joining me today here on New Hope Radio. We're continuing in a series entitled Songs of Joy. And I'm bringing you the Sunday morning sermons. A little different approach, not different approach, but you get, you get to hear the Word of God in a different way rather than our live broadcast. We're bringing you the preaching style of the sermon. A little change. Hope you like it. Uh, let me know if you like it, if you don't like it. If you like the live version, you like the Sunday morning sermon version, whichever one. We just want to bring the Word of God to you the best that we can. Today we got a good one. Oh, I like this message. You know why? It's entitled, The Lord Takes Pleasure in His People. Is that you? Are you His people? If so, man, He takes pleasure in you. He is thrilled about you. So I'll tell you what, let's get right into it. Buckle up, because we want to see the wonderful loving thoughts that God has toward each and every one of us that belongs to Him. You know, I wonder how many people really know where they stand with God. I think about three categories. Number one, people that are very confident in their relationship. That's many of you that are here and online as well. Then there's those that are hopeful, but not that certain. That could be some of you too. Hopeful, but not certain. And then of course, the third category, those that are just not interested at all. They don't care where they stand with God. But the good news is that God loves all people, right? God so loved the whole world, everybody in the world, that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever, anybody and everybody that believes in him will never perish. Somebody's coffee's done. will never perish, but have eternal life. Now, this message today is not so much for people that are far from God as much as it is for people that are near to God. Now, for those that are far from God, this message might draw you near to God. But it really is about the people of God. And we're going to pick it up in Psalm 149. And here's what it says. The psalmist is going to tell us that, listen, this is what happens when we're in church, okay? Verse 1, praise the Lord, sing to the... <laughs> you guys are good. If you want to do that, go ahead. Praise the Lord. All right. Sing to the Lord a new song, and his praises in the congregation of the godly ones. Actually, that phrase, praise the Lord, <laughs> it really means... You church people, praise the Lord. <laughs> the worship leader is telling the people, this is what we do, okay? And he said, sing a new song. In other words, you've praised him before, now praise him again. It's like, don't stop praising God. Sing a new song with every new knowledge of God that you gain. Isn't it nice to know that the Christian life is a journey, we're going somewhere, and as we're journeying, we're growing. We're learning. So as we learn, huh, we have a reason to praise about the new things that we're learning. One writer said, singing is the fittest method of expressing reverent praise. 
Singing is not unimportant with God. It's very important. And that's why we brought you this five-part series, to understand how to praise God, for he is worthy. And we are expected to praise him. It's good for us, and it's good for him. Another reason we sing a new song, if we flip back, you don't have to, but in Lamentations 3.22, the Bible says, the Lord's loving kindness indeed will never cease. And his compassions, they never fail. God is always treating his people with compassion. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God's mercies, God's compassions are new and fresh like bread every morning. So every morning we have a fresh supply of mercy and every morning we have a reason to praise him. And you know the funny thing? Some people are more fonder of making complaints than they are of singing new songs. Maybe sometimes we have to weigh our complaints against the songs that we sing to God. A congregation of singing saints is, is like heaven on earth. It's bringing heaven down. We are part of heaven, we're living here, and we act like heaven when we sing praises to God. In verse 2 he said, Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the sons of Zion rejoice in their king. Zion is another word for Israel. Israel was a new creation among the nations. There were many nations in the world. But one day, God created his own nation, Israel. Israel was created by God through Abraham and then through Jacob. Now, the church is a new creation made by Christ. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. Right? We are the building of Jesus. So whatever God does is worthy of song. Whatever he does. That's what the psalmist is saying. Whatever God does, it's worthy of worship and worthy of praise. Psalm 78 is a psalm that was written to praise God for his works in the wilderness. Remember when the Israelites came out of Egypt and God worked certain miracles for them to help them get along with their journey. He, he, he divided the sea. No one ever did that before. Verse 13, divided the Red Sea so the people could walk across. Oh, they sang about that. He led the people by day in a cloud, and he led them at night with a pillar of fire. You know they sang about that? Verse 14, that's worthy of singing about, the leading of God. And then he got water from a rock when they were thirsty. They sang about that. Verse 15, remember? We were all dying of thirst, and Moses got water from the rock, and we all filled our canteens in our buckets, and we had plenty to drink. And Job, Job has a beautiful commentary in Job chapter 38. At the creation, you know what he said? The morning stars, those are the angels. Huh? They sang together. And all the sons of God shouted for joy. At the creation, the angels were worshiping, praising God. Everything God does is worthy of praise. Everything. Everything.
That job you got, that's worthy of praise. That reconciliation with that person, God intervened, that's worthy of praise. That breakthrough you've been looking for and you finally got whatever it was, maybe it was personal, that's worthy of praise. How better life, you know, life is so much sweeter when we praise God, even for the little things. I praise him for green lights. I do. You know why? I don't like red lights. But I praise him for green lights. And every Sunday, I'm not kidding, they're all green as I drive into church. It's, in, it's incredible. Now, during the week, it's a different story. But there's something about Sunday. So back to, to the Psalm 149, verse 3. Let them praise him with dancing. Let them sing praises to him with timbrel and lyre. And here's the key. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. Huh. Do you ever think that God takes pleasure in you? He does. Just like a parent would take pleasure in their little infant. God takes pleasure in all of you. He really does. Where is children? We sang his eyes on the sparrow, and yet, how much more does he take care of us? So the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the afflicted ones with salvation. That word afflicted, it means the humble ones. He delivers the humble. You know, a good place to be in life is to be a place in a place where you are teachable. That's humility to be teachable, where you don't have all the answers, but you're willing to learn. Because in that place, there is deliverance. That's what salvation means, deliverance. God delivers the humble. As a matter of fact, he resists the proud, because they don't want to hear from him, but he gives grace to the humble. Humility is an incredible place to be at in your heart, because God is there. And God is working for you and with you when you're in a humble state. This is a happy time in this psalm because the people are singing. God takes pleasure in us. God delights in us. God loves us. How good to know that God takes pleasure in his people. That's why those far from God, oh, they think they're so smart, but they're missing out. They're missing out. They're missing out on knowing that they are loved by God. They don't know it. And there are some people, if they're not loved by God, they're not loved by anybody. Because there are people in the world, no one loves them. How much more important to be loved by God? To know in spite of what people think of me, in spite of what people feel about me, I have somebody in heaven that loves me and values me and cherishes me, and I'm his, I'm his delight. Oh, how great to go through life with that, and how sad to go through life without it. Imagine, God is in his highest heaven, and yet he notices all of his people. I mean, well, just little tiny people down here. And heaven is like billions of light years away, and he notices us again. If his eye is on the sparrow, that's perfect timing today. How much more does he take notice of you? 
And in that noticing, you know what we have? Love. God doesn't just notice us. He notices us in love. It's a loving eye that he has toward his people. No, it's not a judgmental eye. It's not a critical eye. It's not an eye that's watching you to make a misstep or a mistake or condemn you because you had a failure. No, it's a loving eye. It's a lie that is an eye that is there for you to watch you and to, to guide your step and pick you up when you fall and carry you when you're tired. That's what's inside the eye of God when he watches you. Do you really know how much you're loved by God? That's the question. You really know. The big mistake is to make God like a human because human love is very conditional. Right? You like me, I like you. You don't like me, I don't like you. That's human love. That's not divine love. Divine love, you like me, I like you. You don't like me, I still like you. That's how God is with us. He still loves us. We have to realize we are in the love of God. Don't rob yourself of their great blessing to be a recipient of the Almighty's love. Don't rob yourself. You know what? It's there. It's not like you have to go find it. Oh, where can I go where I can find that God loves me? No, right where you are. Right where who you are. God loves you right there. Who you are, where you are, what you are. Because it's not about us, it's about Him. And He loves us because, you know what? We accepted His gift. And what's His gift? His gift was His Son. We accepted His Son that was battered and bloody. And we accepted that gift. And God loves us in a very personal way. Yes, He loves the world. But he loves us even more personally. God's love is like a gold mine that's never exhausted. The deeper you go, the more gold you find. That's what's so great about learning about God. The more you learn, the deeper you go in his love. You get to a place where you are so secure and you are so confident in the love of God. Oh boy, that's the place of freedom. That's the place we want to be. Because God's grace is greater than any failure that we could ever fall into in this life. It's like a little fish in a wide ocean. That one little goldfish in the vast ocean. He's got all the water to himself. And drink up, little fishy. Drink up. That's God's love. It's like an ocean, and it can't be exhausted. It can't be. There's plenty of God's love to go around, and then some. We cannot exhaust the love of God. You cannot. And the great thing, it's there for us to drink it up. Bask in God's love. Why? Because he loves you. He takes pleasure in you. It's a happy psalm. Wow. You mean God takes pleasure in me? Yeah. Yeah, but man, you see what I did? He doesn't care. You hear what I said? He doesn't care. He takes pleasure in all of his people. Who you are, what you've done, matters not to God. 
Because God doesn't relate to us based on conditions. He relates to us based on his son, Jesus, and what Jesus did for us. You know, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, he wrote something in Isaiah 61, verse 1, concerning Jesus when he came, why Jesus came. And Jesus got up one day in the synagogue and he read some of these verses about himself. But Isaiah wrote these something like 700 years before Christ came. And here's what he wrote, as if he was speaking for Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. In other words, sent me. When you're anointed, you're equipped and you're sent on a mission. So he says, because the Lord has anointed me. To do what? To bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a Garland, beautiful headpiece, instead of ashes. Ashes was a symbol of grieving. They sprinkle ashes or dust on their heads when they were grieving. It's like, no, I'm not going to put dust on your head. We're going to put a beautiful garland, a crown on your head. To give the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the oak tree, the strong tree, the tough tree. It's a mighty tree, the oak tree. The planting of the Lord. And result, that he may be glorified. God does all these good things for us that he would be glorified. Say, oh, how's he glorified? In our praises. That's how. He's glorified when we sing praises to him. So I want you to notice the message that Jesus brought because, you know, sadly, a lot of people, they don't get this message. They're like, what? I never heard that. Maybe if they heard it, they would accept it and receive it instead of spending the rest of their days lost and then sadly dying, lost. Here's the message. I came to bring good news. I like that already. I came to heal hearts. I like that. Broken hearts. Jesus is in the business of fixing broken hearts. I came to bring liberty and freedom and comfort. I'm like, who's got a problem with that? Raise your hand in the world. Who's got a problem with the message of Jesus? What is wrong with you? Oh no, I don't want good news, I want bad news. Oh no, I don't want my heart healed, I want to keep it broken so I can be bitter. 
No, I don't want liberty and freedom. I want to stay in bondage. I don't want to be comforted. I want to stay miserable. That's what people that don't understand this message, that's where they stay. They gotta understand why Jesus came, what he came to say, then the gifts that he gave. He says, I give you a garland, a crown. No more ashes. And a beautiful, beautiful crown. I want to give you something. I want to fill you with gladness. That's a gift. It's a gladness that doesn't come from the world. Because that's very conditional. It's very temporary. You can be happy in the morning and very unhappy by three o'clock in the afternoon. But God's is different. God's is like steady as she goes. I came to give you praise. A reason to praise. Because when you praise me, something happens in your heart. Your heart actually gets set free when you praise God. So back in verse 5 of Psalm 149, this is about you. Let the godly ones exult in glory. That means rejoice in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Hmm. One man asked the question, Shall those to whom God is their glory be cast down and troubled? Shall those to whom God loves them and takes care of them should be unhappy and miserable? Should they be depressed and discouraged when they have a God that loves them and is there for them and provides for them and carries them through the hard times? Should they be cast down? Should they be discouraged? The answer is no. No, they shouldn't be. Not at all. He said, let their joy proclaim their honorable estate. Realize where you are, who you are in Christ, and then proclaim it. Hey, I'm going to heaven. I've got my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Jesus died for me, all my sins on that cross, all of them. Not one fell. They're all there, paid for, paid in full. God gave me gifts and talents to make my life fruitful and count. Why, why should I be downcast when I know who I am? Let them sing for joy on their beds while others are asleep. Be awake in praise. And you can take this symbolically. They're asleep spiritually. Spiritually asleep. Going through life like sleepwalking. They're alive but it's like they're sleepwalking because they, they're in the dark about God. Paul said in Ephesians 5.14, Awake, sleeper. Anybody here asleep? Awake, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. See, it's like when you're asleep, you're like dead. You know, you're spiritually dead, spiritually asleep. What's Paul saying? Wake up! Wake up! There's a whole world out there. There's a whole God up there. Don't miss out. Don't let all that pass by and you have no participation in God. In verse 6 he said, let the high praises of God be in their mouth. The high praises. 
Again, these psalms from 145 to 150, these are happy psalms. Happy songs that people sang because they're remembering who God is. And they're remembering who they are in God. We have to remember that. Who we are in God. We are the righteousness of Christ in God. He's made us righteous. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. Oh, what does that mean? I'm singing with a sword. We sing joyfully and we war earnestly against evil. Oh yeah, still a bad world out there. We are in steady praise and we're steady in battle. See, we're steady as she goes. I'm steady when I'm praising God. I'm steady when I'm fighting my spiritual battles. You know, back in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah went back to rebuild the fallen wall around Jerusalem. And the Bible tells us that when they were building the wall, that they were building the wall and they had their sword on their side. So they had their tools and they had their sword. And they were ready. They were ready for anything. That if it was peaceful, they could build. And if the enemy came, because they had a lot of opposition, a lot of folks didn't want them building that wall. Something about walls these days. People don't want walls, huh? So the enemy of Israel, they didn't want that wall. So they had their sword by their side. It was steady at work and ready for battle. And we have to be like that. We're steady in our praise, but we're also steady in battle as well. In verse 7, the psalmist said, Finally, justice will come. It will come one day. He will come to execute vengeance on the nations, punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron. You know, those that are in charge of the world right now, and they're doing many injustices. It's only for a short time. Very short time. Verse 9, to execute them, to execute on them the judgment written. This is an honor for all the godly ones. Wow. See, God is the one that brings the judgment, not us. But we do fight, and Paul kind of gives us a little insight into how we fight our spiritual battles. And he said in Ephesians 6.12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Oh, that's people. You know the people that bother you? There's something going on behind the scenes. All the antagonism against you as a Christian is coming from behind the scenes. Oh boy, how true that is. But here's the message today, and I hope you received it. God takes pleasure in His people. He takes pleasure in His people because we belong to Him. That's why. We have the righteousness of His Son. Don't get discouraged. Don't get downcast. God loves you with an everlasting love. And He continues to draw you with loving kindness.